This podcast is intended for mature audiences. It also contains two British people talking about sex. How do I sound? Like you've got a cold. Yes. Does that make this a cold open? It does make this a cold open, yeah. Hello! Hello. And welcome to Teabags and Joysticks, the kinky video game podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Sai. How are you, Chris? Uh, could be better. I mean, I'm getting better. Like, last time we recorded, it sounded like I was I was um, getting over a cold, and then I got another cold, and now I'm getting better again, basically. <laughs> so you have just had perpetual cold for the last three, four weeks. Yeah, I know. It's really annoying. And, yeah. Ah, but no, this is Teabags and Joysticks, the kinky video game podcast, and this week we will be talking with a special guest from the Kinky Boys podcast. Yeah. We'll be having Craig on the show. Yeah, that's awesome. Like, he can take over my speaking bits. <laughs> I mean, that's not why we have him on the show. We have him on the show to talk about leather, but yes, it, I suppose that is a useful bonus, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but before we get to... Uh, Craig being on the show, and before we get into the bag of the show, as it were, what's the tea, Chris? The tea today, okay, I am going to bring you news that, um, oh, some environmental concerns about used condoms in Grand Canaria's cruising spots. Okay. Uh, Maspalomas in Grand Canaria. Is, um, I can't say I'm directly familiar, but go on. <laughs> I've been, I've been there. And they have a very. Oh, so you're the problem. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, has a very popular um, a fetish week thing mm-hmm. in October. But anyway, the the news is used condoms being just dumped on uh, Grand Canaria's uh, sand dunes. They're choking some giant lizards to death. Oh no! I know. I know. Shouldn't happen. No. Guys, take your rubbers with you. Clean up after yourselves. Yeah. Like, you're getting dirty. That doesn't mean you have to be dirty. Like, just because you're being filth doesn't mean you have to be trash. <laughs> That's a good, yeah. <laughs> I want that on a shirt. Just just because I'm filth doesn't make me trash. <laughs> no, like, guys, like, come on. Clean up after yourselves. Yeah, I know. Like, yeah. The, the site is a massive... Um, like a public sex, um, what, what do you call it? Like nude a beach cruising kind of, area. Yeah, yeah. Plenty of nude beaches on on Grand Canaria, and yeah, massive, massive cruising sites. It's all very gay friendly in, in Grand Canaria, really. Um, but yeah, clean up, please, please. Yeah, like, I mean. I get it, you're out getting your fun, but that doesn't mean you have to drop the room. I have you like, come on. Yeah. Right, but yeah, that that's that's all I've got. Um what's your tea? Uh my tea this week is it's slightly Marvel related, but it's not it's not enough to be in the five minute Marvel as such. Okay. So I wanted to just bring this up because I think this is just a really, really sweet one, I think this is a sweet story, and two, I think we need to see more of this. Right. Uh, which is, it was reported by Screen Run uh, yesterday at mm. the time of recording. So, um, that uh, Jeremy Renner learned basic American Sign Language to welcome, I, th- I think you pronounce it El- Cox? Cox? I'm not, I'm I not apologize. Sure. I'm not quite yeah. sure what the pronunciation is. I'm not sure. Uh, who plays. Um, Sorry about that. One of the characters, I'm not going to say who the character is okay. because it's potentially spoilers, but like Beat she plays up, one then. of the characters in Hawkeye. Yeah. Uh, and Jeremy, like she's deaf. And Jeremy mm-hmm. Renner learned some basic American Sign Language to welcome her onto the set. Yeah. And so did a few of the other crew members. And it's just like, I just wanted to kind of highlight this because that's such a really sweet thing. Mm. And that, like, this is the kind of like, this is just like, it doesn't take much, guys. No, and it, it means so much. Like when you do do this kind of thing, yeah. And it's just like it's really nice to see kind of disability being embraced properly and sort of handled properly, you know. And I will like maybe this bit should be in the five minute Marvel. I will say, 
like they're doing an amazing job with this character in terms of like portraying them in a sort of believable and sort of very kind of proactive disability yeah. way. Yeah, a bit of a flash forward for you here. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, that's my tea. Just like I just thought that was like something really sweet that I just saw, and it's just like okay, I want to call that out. Yeah. Okay. Is that like the shortest tea section ever? I think that is probably the shortest tea section ever. It's just like, clean up your filth, be more inclusive. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's also probably the shortest like tea I've ever done, because it's not involved me ever going on a rant or something. Yeah. It's just like, hey, I can be sweet now and again. <laughs> you are sweet. Thank you very much, boy. <laughs> so yeah, that's just a nice little bit of like inclusive tea that I wanted to kind of have this week. Mm. Okay. And yeah, you're right. It's probably the shortest tea I've ever done. But <laughs> since it was such a short tea, I want to take a little bit of opportunity here. Okay. To do a little bit of a callback to the last episode. Right. Okay. So last episode, you were talking about Lewis Hamilton and the Burgess Pride flag on his helmet. Yeah. And I want to put my hands up here and say, hey, I was wrong. Okay. Um... I still have a little bit of a reservation with this. Now, let me just say, my reservation is that I still feel that we should do more and that there is an amount of fatigue that comes from rainbow capitalism. Mm-hmm. But I think I was a little bit unfair with the way that I was uh, approaching it in this uh, case with Hamilton. Okay. And I think one thing that, you know, one thing I... I, I that you should do is turn around and say, hey, like, I got that one wrong. And I was talking with a friend um, who who actually grew up in uh, Pakistan, and right. they were saying to me, it's like, hey, like, yeah, okay, I, he- I hear your point that, you know, there's more that could be done on the ground, this, that, and the other, but in terms of the effect that this will have for people on the ground over there, because there isn't necessarily those charitable causes and routes that you can donate to over there, yeah. it will make a big difference to know they're not alone. So, oh, yeah. you know what? I'm going to put my hand up and go, I was wrong last week. Okay. Right. Okay. So, I just wanted That's to, cool. like, put that out there and, as you know, yeah, I'll, cool. I'll cop when I've done something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, with that said, shall we move over towards the uh, the main part of the show and introduce Craig as we enter into the bag of the show? Yes, please. Hello, Craig. Hello. Uh, glad to be here, guys. I'm glad to I'm have you, my dear. to have you. So you have actually appeared on our show a couple of times before as a voicemail, but this is the first time you're actually appearing sort of quote unquote live on the yes, show as it were. I am now yeah. fully manifesting. <laughs> <laughs> so for the sake yes. of our listeners, do you want to just like introduce like who you are, what you do, etc.? So my name's Craig. Uh a lot some of you may know me as the host of the Kinky Boys podcast. Mm-hmm. Um And if I... you don't, we highly recommend it. Yes, please, please check it out. Uh, I think our audiences would have a large crossover. Yes. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, as well as doing the Kink Education podcast, I do boot blacking around the London leather scene, mm-hmm. primarily for leather social. I'm also on the committee for the London leather men, so I'm kind of getting involved in the community that way. So mm. I'm just a all-round kinkster. Yeah. And it was with that angle of sort of the boot blacking and the Leatherman background, etc., mm-hmm. that we wanted to bring you onto the show this week. Because what are we talking about this week, Chris? Oh, we're talking about leather gear. Yay. Yeah. So the plan is that this is kind of a little bit of a follow-up. Because so previously we've talked about gear in general. Yeah. And we kind of we kind of talked about it in kind of a like a gear one oh one type uh scenario if you like. like the idea this week is that we're, we're going to be talking a little more specifically about gear and specifically leather gear which is why i wanted to bring you on craig because you like you've got a much firmer background in this than myself like i'm fairly new to leather uh, we have a general idea of like every <laughs> yeah. every bit of gear but no specifically uh no yeah well i'm happy to give as much uh knowledge and facts as i can mm-hmm. yeah. well i mean should we start from let, let's start from the angle of sort of how you got into leather because leather's been around in the gay community since 
well, basically as far back as the gay community goes. So like some of the earliest uh, depictions, et cetera, date back to like the 50s, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, Tom of Finland's like a big one. But sort of for you personally, where did, where, where did your interest in leather start? So I've always had an interest in leather as an aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And even from an early age, as I started to learn about the gay community and sort of the traditions and archetypes and just how it was laid out, I was automatically drawn to sort of the more kinkier side, the power dynamics, mm-hmm. and particularly the image of Leathermen really mm, okay. drew my attention. So I always, so I kind of dived into it head first. Go, I like kind of knew right. That's what I want to be. That's yep. what I want to aim for. So, was it always a case of sort of that was your, I guess, perfect target sort of thing, or was it more you kind of stepped into it gradually? Because I know for me personally, when I came into the scene, like I was familiar with the leather side of things and everything. Uh, sort of, I, I'd seen it in sort of a lot of the media, mm-hmm. etc., that I'd consumed. But I actually stepped through rubber first. And rubber kind of gave me the idea of sort of being in gear and giving me that sort of thing at a much more accessible price point for me personally. And then I ended up maneuvering into leather afterwards. So I dived headfirst into leather, Mm. which was quite an impressive feat for uh, almost broke Um, (laughs) 18-year-old. I was actually quite lucky. Uh, My first two bits of leather... Mm-hmm. was a leather bar vest mm-hmm. that I actually got from my town's Saturday market um, army surplus stall. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, I I don't know why it was in there, but the army surplus stall had this traditional leather bar vest. It's actually from a brand called London Leathermen, which isn't about anymore. Right. But for oh, right. years, they used to make a lot of the fetish gear for the UK. Interesting. Gotcha. Yeah, so like looking into it, I was amazed at like, oh my god, this thing I picked up for ten quid at a Saturday market has all <laughs> wow. this history that's already connected to the leather community. Uh, wow. Okay, yeah. that's kind of fascinating. I, I really want to know why that was in there. <laughs> Me too. Like, I know, right? There must be a story there. Like, when you say looking for gear, like I never think of surplus stores of all places. Well, surplus uh, store. Yeah, you, you pick up, you know, your camo gear, your army kit, but not. Well, I yeah. always remember there being army surplus stalls at like Pride Fair markets, like back when mm. Brighton was like an open park event. Yeah, they had okay. an army surplus stall, so I'm guessing at one of these events, it just got circulated around. Um, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. So that was your the bar vest was your first piece of leather gear then. Yes. Yeah. What was yours, Chris? Oh, mine was a yeah leather was bar, a bar vest. vest as well. I think yeah. it was. Yeah, mine. One more was a bar vest because mine was a harness. Mine was a harness that my mother bought me, although she insists that she bought me dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we we I was um it was my first time in London, uh, and me and my friend had gone to regulation back when it was at Islington, uh, and I'd been in there and I saw this vest. I'm like, oh, I love this vest, and it just so happened that like I ended up on a phone call uh, from my mother. She's like, oh hey, so what are you doing? It's like, oh you know, I'm I'm just like having a look at gear and things. Like I have a very liberal relationship with my mother, thank God. Um, That's nice. And she's like, oh, it's just like, have you picked anything up? It's like probably worrying what I'm going to bring home. In all honesty, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh no, I've just seen this like this kind of this harness that I'm thinking of buying, but it's just like I don't know if I can really afford it because you know it's it's a lot of money. It's just like. Oh, okay. It's just like it hangs up off the phone. She sends me a text message like, "Oh, I bought you dinner." And I look in my look in my account. And I'm like, "Yeah, that's not just dinner." <laughs> that was the exact amount. Yeah, of oh. <laughs> the price of the hardest. I think it's interesting though because, like, leather for me in my experience, and maybe you have a different look on this, Craig, is. It's one of those gear pieces that I tend to think can be a little bit off-putting if you're coming into the scene, like, fresh as it were, because the price on it can be quite high. Oh, yeah. Leather amongst fetish gear is the priciest thing. Mm. And mm. I definitely think the leather scene in recent years has suffered because of that. Like, mm-hmm. you yeah. notice there's a definite 
age shift when you move between like sort of the sporty lycra gear then into the rubber gear people and yep. then at the end like the leather gear people tend to be this whole other age group because yeah like to invest yeah. in like leather is a lot of money yeah fair point like, i mean that being said there are ways around it um do you mind if i name check a brand no no uh so leather addicts uh you can only find it online right but they specialize essentially in cheap leather for a fetish and b cosplay okay and Uh, you can get like a full leather shirt from them for about 60 to 80 quid which as far as leather goes is the cheapest end you could probably hope for Mm. Mm, probably yeah but it, yeah. I mean, it, there's also that angle of it. if there is one brand out there doing it, there are probably some others. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I know that some people, I mean, for me personally, it doesn't work, but I know some people don't mind using uh, pea leather or, or like some, like basically plastic leather hybrid type thing. For me, that doesn't personally work because I don't like the feel of it and I'm very weird about texture. <laughs> yeah. But, it, like, it's definitely a pricing material it mm. just on its base like even if you get like the cheapest which is like plain cow leather that yep. is still super yeah. expensive but it will last you oh yeah i mean one of the big traditions in the leather community that that went on for a long time was gifting leather mm. and as much as it's dressed up around these concepts of like oh like earning your leather through power dynamic and service yep. and all that Mostly it's because there was a recognition that younger guys just wouldn't be able to get leather unless they were gifted it by someone who possibly had outgrown it or just had the resources to gift that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So like there's a very, like a lot of traditions, when you actually look at it, there's a very practical reason for it. Yeah. I think think that is one thing with leather as well, though, because it does last so long if it's cared for properly that... There is a essentially a second market there as well that is a good way to try and pick up some cheaper pieces. Oh yeah, yeah. Like as long as you soap and moisturize your leather, um, it will last you decades. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like I think we are going to come a little bit later into kind of the caring for leather side of it. But yeah. I think I think one thing I want to hit on maybe a little bit before is the idea of of sort of what you can do with leather. Because I think that sometimes we get very structured into kind of this set kind of almost like Tom of Finland-esque like idea of what leather should be. Yeah, that sort of biker bluff full yeah. body outfit. And in reality, yeah. that's not all that there is. Like it it makes a significant portion of of like what you see on the scene and things. But I, that isn't the only thing that's out there. And there are a lot of companies that do do customization and things. So I was, I was wondering, like, what some of the kind of some of the best or your like your favorite customizations that you've seen? Because I know you see like a lot more leather than we do doing the boot blacking and everything that you do. So my favorite one I've seen so far is it's a very simple but ingenious idea okay. where someone's done a leather shirt that looks like a red and black plaid pattern on it. Wow. Like that's oh. been literally printed on the leather. And it's so okay. like this leather lumberjack look. And I love it. I think it's gorgeous. Oh, I need to see this. This sounds amazing. Yeah. It sounds I'm... really difficult to make. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like... I can't imagine that's a straightforward. Yeah. Because uh... yeah, to get it, you basically. You either have to dye leather, which you wouldn't be able to dye that pattern. So I assume it has no. to be printed or painted on. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, that comes with the thing that eventually over time, leather paint will chip like all yep. paints. But yeah. you can do restoral methods on that. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. kind of cool. Like that's a, that's a level of customization I hadn't thought of. Because when I think leather customization, I tend to think sort of, okay, you've got like your stitching, you've got your like your general sort of garment design mm-hmm. side of things. And then you've kind of got, okay, you can go for like your red stitching or your or your button types or your zip types, etc. Like... That's a whole other level of thing. Oh, yeah. Like, one of the things I'm really glad to see is colour seems to be Mm. entering the leather scene. Yeah. Like, the lycra and rubber scenes very much led the right way with this with bright, bold colours, and the leather Mm -hmm. scene finally seems to be embracing them. 
So yeah, this was something that I was going to ask you about because usually when we think leather, we think mostly like just your standard kind of all black with maybe the odd accent maybe around mm -hmm. the rim, or you think sort of your harnesses that sort of it tends it tends to be not always kind of your straight black harness with your coloured kind of um, outer edges basically. But like in terms of full gear outfit sort of thing your head to toe like putting aside harnesses for a moment because with harnesses you do do it like is there much in the way of kind of i guess color flagging like hanky code flagging in terms of leather is that something that like people tend to do with leather or is it so with leather you tend to have the three big flagging colors in most of the piping mm -hmm. um which is white blue and red yep so mm. uh if I remember correctly, white is they're just up for sex. Blue is specifically for fucking, mm -hmm. and red is fisting. Yeah. Oh, and yellow, yellow for this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, over the years, I think people have started using that for flagging less and less, and more just for aesthetics. See, I was going to ask you for about this because in I think in rubber, while there's some of the big ones that do carry through, like red and yellow do tend to carry mm -hmm. through. Like you get people like myself and Chris, for example, who like our rubber gear is red, white, and black, yeah. depending like in various combinations. Chris, yours is more red and black. You don't tend to have the white trim like I do, right? No. No. So, like, I was curious, like how how much of this do you think is actually flagging? How much of this do you think is just more of a like these are my colors type of thing? Um, right now, it's definitely becoming much more of these sorts of my colors thing. Mm. Especially with the Mr. Regello shirts, which famously are quite multicolored. Yeah. Yeah. So I what I would say is always ask people. Yeah. Never just assume because they've got a colored shirt on or colored piping what they're actually into. Yeah. Oh no, definitely. I mean, I know we've definitely had people come up to us before, Chris, and go, "Hey, like, so is that just like color, or is that because you're into it?" It's just yeah. like, no, I get a lot of this on, like, say, recon as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, a lot of like fisting people would come messaging me. Uh, yeah, that kind of thing. But yeah, I think the general trend for all kinds of gear these days, I mean, yeah, this is these are not fucking colors, really. Yeah, I think we are seeing the hanky code kind of. Not die off, but it's definitely retreating. Uh, see, I would say a lot more people are becoming more interested in it. Really? Like, it's maybe it's one of those things where it's just my social circle, but it mm. definitely seems to be having a renaissance of people particularly properly flagging hankies again. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. don't use actual hankies to flag yeah. rather than yeah. flag it on their clothes. Yeah, and I think I would definitely agree. Like, I'm definitely... I think I've definitely seen more of the hankies in the scene sort of up north. Yeah. In terms of gear, like colour flagging on gear, I think it's becoming less of a thing. Yeah. Apart from sort of like we say, the, the sort of three big ones sort of thing. Yeah. Um, Even so. Yeah. Like I, for my gear, a lot of people know I go in heavy on the hunter green, which mm -hmm. is did start from a place of flagging. Like I am very much oh, yeah, a boy. Yeah. I'm a leather boy. Mm -hmm. I can be a daddy's boy. So I like to flag that. So a lot of my gear is hunter green. I also just like the color. Yeah, it's a nice color. Yeah. It's a very nice color. That's fair. I mean, for me, like, red, like when at the moment I have red on my bar jacket, uh, mm -hmm. and I, I tend to wear red in my uh, boots as well. And that's not a flagging thing for me. It's just like red is a color that really works on my skin tone because I yeah. am a very, very pasty son of a bitch. <laughs> so it's just like, you give me red and it looks like I have a little bit of color in my cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> so what misconceptions do you think there are when it comes to leather and leather gear? Um, a lot of people find leathermen quite threatening from, mm. the, from mm. the visuals. And I have to say that's really not true. They are some of the... At least the Leathermen I know, because again, everyone's experience can be different. Different um, areas have different feels to them. Mm -hmm. But most of the Leathermen I know have been the warmest, most welcoming people I've ever met. Yep. Oh, yeah, I agree. I, I would have to agree with that as well. Yeah. Um, I, th I think it's interesting that uh, Leather gets tied to this kind of hyper-masculinity idea. And with that mm -hmm. comes that sort of intimidation factor. 
But if you actually spend any time talking to a lot of the Leatherman men, like it's in my experience, it's like they really are just like big pussycats. And oh, like, yeah, totally. <laughs> and some people might take yeah. offense at me saying that, but it's just like no. I don't think I have ever met a single Leatherman on the scene that like I've ever had any reason to have any objection to in any way. Yeah. Yeah, and it is um like Leathermen can appear quite standoffish. Mm. Because a lot of them, especially the older ones, I do find just have had that really practiced um leather bar scowl that they used to try <laughs> like intimidating and therefore hot. Yeah, yeah. I, mm. I know the I know the look you're talking about. Yeah, but but it is pure facade and most of them are really nice if you just speak oh, yeah. to them. And I, th- I think that is a fairly common thing in kink as well, but I do think leather kind of probably suffers from that kind of misconception slightly more than most. Uh, I don't know. There's definitely a very common thing in kink, like all the, all the you know, bondage and torture or whatever. Well, it kind of sounds scary, but actually, nah, none of that. <laughs> right? <laughs> is yeah. there any other misconceptions that you think there are with leather or...? Um, you know, none are coming to mind at the minute. I'm sure mm. as soon as this interview's over, I will think of one. <laughs> I, I think that's always the way, isn't it? It's just like when, yeah. when you have to like stop and go, right, what do people tend, tend to get wrong? It's just yeah. like, no, your mind just runs blank. <laughs> yeah. well, I know, I'm sure on your show, you've done that many a time where you, you've, you've like ended the recording and at the very end, you've gone, oh, um, damn it. <laughs> you know what? This is giving me time and I thought of one. Okay. Um, yeah. A lot of people assume people into leather must be into power exchange and BDSM. Mm. There are a lot of leather guys that just do it purely for the feel and the aesthetic of leather. Yep. And like that is their fetish is the leather gear. Yeah. Yep. I think one thing that I see um, fairly, fairly regularly, but it might just be because of the company that I keep, is there's a lot of people that I, I would say they're in in the leather community or at least were sort of very much sort of adjacent to it uh who their big thing is very much the the process of caring and the service of caring for the gear alongside and this is kind of maybe a good time to segue across to kind of more of the boot blacking side of mm-hmm. thing uh and i mean do you want to just like kind of give us kind of the elevator pitch of what boot blacking is so boot blacking is essentially a position of service within the wider leather community mm-hmm. it's most popular in the states though it's starting to make its way over here into the uk Mm-hmm. Uh, as the name implies, the main thing is uh, polishing and blacking people's boots, often yep. at bars and clubs and events. So we'll have a little station, you'll come over, and we will essentially shine your boots for you. Yep. And I guess, like, and well, one of the other reasons we were keen to get you on here is because mm-hmm. with your experience doing boot blacking, etc., you've had quite a bit of experience of caring for leather and, and sort of how, like how you kind of handle it. So I like, I guess my key question here is kind of for someone who is just getting started with leather mm-hmm. and someone who's kind of learning the ropes as it were, what's kind of the essentials that they need to know when it comes to sort of caring for leather, whether that's cleaning, whether it's the polishing side of things, etc. So generally just keep in mind, Leather is essentially tanned skin. Mm-hmm. Mm. So it needs what your what skin needs, which is to be cleaned and to be moisturized. Mm-hmm. Those are the two big things. So if you a very mild soap, I actually use hard um shaving soap, like the old-fashioned kind where you lather okay. it up with a blush. Okay. Because that's a scentless, very mild um soap. Interesting. That because again, what helps preserve the leather is the oils. Um, yep. These days, most of the time, I recommend plant-based oils, right? Because animal-based oils will go rancid, so you have to clean them off more regularly. Right. Okay. But yeah, um, even just a plain, unscented, cheap skin moisturizer like E forty five will do the job. Oh, really? Uh, Of course, you can get more elaborate ones. Like, my favorite go-to is the Mr. B leather oil. Interesting. Which is almond oil um, with uh, added dye in it. 
And right. what it does okay. is it stops the leather from fading because it's basically slightly re-dyeing it each time you apply. Gotcha. Oh, interesting. And it's good for a good shine on, like, leather wares. Interesting. The one that I've been using on mine, and I've used it on Chris's as mm-hmm. well, is... Um, I think we're okay to mention the brand. It's uh, Sophia uh, Leather Creme. Which yes. Yeah, that. Which is a really nice mm-hmm. uh, cream for for leather. Like I, honestly, the reason I know that one is because it's what I use on my shoes and my boots. Yes, so <laughs> far that seems to be the one that's in vogue with the boot blacks. Because yeah. every so often you have, you do, it's one of these things where people always argue about their favorite brands of boot polish. <laughs> for a that's long while, I was in the Angelus camp, Angelus right. boot black, um, but. Yeah, I have to say the Saphir High Shine Polish is one of the best ones I've used. Mm-hmm. And like, what's the biggest mistake that you see people make? Um, trying to apply hard bot polish to uh, wax-coated or oil-coated boots. <laughs> that will okay. go bad for you. Uh, like, mm-hmm. I've, I've done it. Lots of boot blacks do it because sometimes it's hard to tell. But not all boots need a high shine hard polish. Like mm-hmm. generally speaking, Wesco's and other work style boots will be oil polish, and you need like a boot grease on them. Yep. I recommend Hubbard's if you can get it. I know Regs import it because it is very pricey to import on your own. Yep, and that's great, yeah. and it makes the boots taste a bit like um, bacon. So <laughs> that's <always> nice. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, I wasn't expecting like a recommendation for taste in amongst all I should have. I know I should have. It just didn't click. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So Hubbard's shoe grease is basically pine oil with a few other oils that give it a sort of smoky, bacony flavor. <laughs> smells amazing okay. too. Well, yeah. there, there you go, boys. You know what to. Uh... <laughs> Bacon I mean, just in the interest boots. of balance, other yes. other brands are available, but oh, hey, yes. that's that's the bacon one. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's properly tickled me. That has. <laughs> so, um, in terms of, sorry, just give me a moment to work out. How... I'm still recovering from the, from the bacon. Um, in terms of the sort of boot black. Uh... I guess etiquette might uh-huh. be the right word. Like, so if you're, if let's say you picked up your your leathers for the first time, like you do know of a boot black in the scene or whatever that you want to talk to about, sort uh-huh. of, hey, like, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing. Can you give me a few pointers? Like, what's what's like the the etiquette? What's kind of the things that people like should know or may, maybe don't know, etc. So don't assume just because we do boot blacking we are submissive mm-hmm. or submissive oh, to no. you. Like, I know doms that do it. I also have had some real assholes that sit down in my chair and presume just because I'm blacking their boots, I'm their sub for that time. No. No. Like, if a boot black likes you, trust me, they will flirt heavily with you while you're in the chair and you'll pick up it. (laughs) But, yeah, just don't assume anything like that. Service with a smile. Yes, exactly. (laughs) We are... Most of us are quite open to answering questions. Like, Mm -hmm. I've got a lot of people in my Twitter DMs just asking me, uh, hey, how do I do this? Uh, Mm -hmm. Can you give me tips on these boots? I've got this problem. And I'm happy to share my knowledge. Oh, yeah. like I know I've messaged you before and gone, hey, like... Because I messaged you just before my graduation and went, hey, is there any chance that we can try and make this work to try and get my gear down to you to uh, get sorted before my graduation as well? Yeah. And... Um, um, also, a lot of people have just directly asked me, like, how much would it be if I could ask you to, like, do my leathers or do mm. re- restore my jacket or something yeah. like that? Um, one word of warning, I will mm-hmm. say, don't try and shop around if we give you a price because we all talk to one another. We know <laughs> what our prices are. We know what our times were. Yep. <laughs> And we talk to each other about it. I'm going to say it does seem to be a very close knit. And I think it's true of, like, I think it's. Okay, well, actually, before I say that, um, do you consider, like, obviously, I think there is very definitely 
an amount of of symbiosis between them. But like, do you consider the boot blacking community and the leather community to be separate entities, or do you think they're kind of one and the same? Um, boot blacking sort of a sub community within. Mm. So it's with a niche within a niche within a niche. (laughs) But that's why it's so tight knit. Because once we found each other, we kind of made sure to stay in contact and make our own little circle. And this is what I was going to say. Like it does very much seem that sort of the leather community and the bootleg community is a very kind of I don't know what other word to use other than sort of tight community. Like it's very much kind of it seems that everyone knows everyone. Like and and it doesn't seem to be like location based in my experience. Like Quite often, like I found myself talking to a leather guy in Manchester, and he's talking about guys in London, and then mentioning mm-hmm. oh, such and such, and I'm like, oh yeah, like I know them. <laughs> oh yeah, like especially between the communities between Manchester and London, the mm. leather scene is so porous. Like people <laughs> going out in between. Um, I always, if I can, go to Manchester Leathermen because I find that like their leather weekends because yep. they are amazing mm. and they're such a friendly group. See, we've not had a chance to head over for that yet, but it's on the plans for next year, I think. I mean, I, I yeah. I <laughs> oh, have you actually been? Piece... I haven't been yet. No, I hadn't had my piece. Of... I was going to say I hadn't had my pieces of leather before. Like, well, yeah, I'm like say this month, <laughs> you know, <laughs> last month or rather. Exactly. Chris just got his first pair of uh, leather trousers. Ah, oh, fantastic! Yeah. Which look amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, like we haven't had a chance to do like uh, Manchester Leathermen or we've not even been down to the London uh, scene yet. And I know there's a fairly big scene in London mm-hmm. as well. Uh, has the, out of interest, has the London scene, um, I guess, recovered? Because I know there was a big thing in London not too long ago where some of the larger uh, leather bars ca- kind of came under threat because of redevelopment and things. Like, is that still like a situation down there? Um, so, whilst the situation has never fully gone away, it's pretty much been secured. Yeah. For now, uh, it uh, so the oldest it's like the oldest leather bar in London, uh, the Back Street. Mm, uh, yeah. It's basically in the basement of a property to, that's was set to be redeveloped. Yep. Um, and they put up a hell of a fight. Um, it was helped by the fact that the local community didn't want this development at all. Right. Yeah. Um, but, and they were very tenacious in their fight, making yep. sure. So I don't know the full details. No, no. But I do know, like, the developers, like, put forward several proposals. Like, yep. well, we'll, re- we'll rebuild the building, but make sure to keep a space for you. And the owners of the club would not go for that. Yeah. Because okay. this is a common tactic a lot of property developers do. Mm-hmm. They promise a space and then they don't build it. And then um, just say, well, it's built now. Old. What can we do? Yeah. No, that's, that's fair. And it's one of those things that I think it seems to be, in my experience, that in London, it seems to be a thing that's cropping up more and more of being a problem with the scene in general um i think in manchester it's quite it's quite lucky that they have uh the setup with the village the way that they do because it doesn't seem to be as not saying it's Mm. safe from it but it doesn't seem to be as prone to it yeah because in london a lot of the older leather bars tend to be in the areas ripe for redevelopment Yeah. yeah um we've been it's an ongoing battle, and it's not an entirely losing one. A lot of spaces have been given special protections. Yeah. Like the current mayorship and London, I don't know what it is, council? Mm. Or, they have mm-hmm. made um, special categorizations for like historically relevant bars to the community. Right, okay. Like yeah. I know the Royal Va- Vauxhall Tavern has it. I know cool. the Black cap has it mm. and that has actually pulled it back oh okay so originally the black cap got shut down and sold right but this uh between the community protests that were constantly going on and it being retroactively given this sort of protection it's now being wheeled back and whoever buys it next has to use it for its original purpose of oh awesome a drag bar essentially oh that's brilliant okay that's yeah. really good to hear. Yeah. Um, I do think this is a problem that it's never going to fully go away. No, you know? no, no I don't. It think is, it is very much an ongoing battle. Yeah, 
And, and this this is one of the reasons why we need to kind of support our queer venues and support mm-hmm. like queer spaces, queer queer initiatives, yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Um. So one thing, last thing that I wanted to touch on you with is I know uh, you yourself and a couple of others, if I if I understand this correctly, are spearheading uh, the creation of a boot blacking um, federation. Is the uh, correct word I think. So it's the UK Boot Blacking Association. Association, sorry. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, right now, it's basically a very large Telegram group and right. a Twitter profile. <laughs> okay. But the idea is you get in contact either through the Twitter profile or one of us, and we field out uh, if your bar or event wants a boot black there. Right. So you contact uh-huh. us, and we'll put out the call, say, any boot blacks in this area want to mm-hmm. do it for this event. Yeah. Okay. And obviously anyone wanting to learn to be a boot black, like if you've been listening to this and your ears have perked up and saying, that sounds like something I want to do. Yep. Mm-hmm. Get in contact with us. We all, everyone is very keen to mentor new people into it. Yep. And I, I was going to ask you that next, if people wanted to learn to do it, mm-hmm. uh, it like if people were sort of looking at leather and, and had a few questions around mm-hmm. care, et cetera, is it sort of okay for them to be approaching you as well through that, that channel as well? Certainly. Okay. So I so I love to explain. I will sit down with people and walk them through it. Um, mm-hmm. I will help, like help them. I'll give them all the information I can. If you want to get a good grounding, there are two books: uh, Boot Blacking One Hundred One. I can't yep. remember the author, and the other one is Beyond Boot Blacking by Daddy Wendell. Okay. And between the mm-hmm. two of them, that will give you the best grounding you can in leather care and boot shining awesome okay i need to put those on my reading list mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so i think that's all the questions that i have on hand i don't know if you have any that you want to follow up with chris uh no i haven't haven't got it yeah all right but yeah so thank you ever so much for uh, joining us today my dear uh it's been lovely talking with you and if people would like to hear more from yourself or if they'd like to find you elsewhere where can they do so so if you want to find my personal social media account uh it's boot black cup across most platforms so twitter uh instagram i'm boot black cub on the mastodon server on bear.community mm-hmm. so for my personal accounts you can find me there um, as I previously said, I also do my own podcast, the Kinky Boys Podcast. Uh, you can find us at kinkyboyspodcast.com or Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all the normal uh, areas. Yeah. We are all- Essentially, if, if we're on the platform, the chances are that Greg is. <laughs> yeah. And we also have a Patreon. Uh, if you want to sign up, uh, mm-hmm. listening and you like what you hear, please do that. I'd love that. Yep. Um, yeah. So that's where you can find me. Yeah. So thank you ever so much for joining us. Uh, and Chris, shall we uh, take this opportunity to add the sugar to the show as we say goodbye to Craig and, and head into the uh, five minute marvel? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Five minute marvel coming now. So, so Hawkeye. Hawkeye came out. Yes. <laughs> and it is the most wonderful time of the year. And Rochester Musical and all that and all that. Oh, I, I'm seriously hoping we get Easter eggs of like two or three songs from Rochester the Musical at some point. I know. It was, it's, it's so prominent in the show. Every episode, you know, you see an advert of Rochester yep. Musical. Like, yes, we want more. Oh, I wonder if they've got plans to do some sort of Christmas special thing with it. Because I know we're getting the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special. Yes. But it would be kind of cool if we got like, like, hey, like, here's two or three scenes from Rogers the Musical. Like, that I would mean, be kind of neat. Yeah, I mean... This Although is... it makes me wonder, are they shopping it out to kind of make it a real thing? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Right. Kind of got that feel, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, shall we just quickly contextualize that we are three episodes into Hawkeye right now? Yes. So by the time this comes out, like, most of the series will be over, but we're kind of at the midway point. Yeah, I mean, there's six I mean, episodes. This is going to come out next week, so episode four will be out, and yeah, there will be two episodes left. Maybe, yes. yeah, there may be so, a a um, post credit scene. We never know next week. Maybe we shall see. They have done that in the past. I'm really loving it. 
I'm really, really loving. I it. know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I have a new favorite Avenger. Kate Bishop. Kate, Kate Bishop is my spirit animal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. Like she's a bratty, spoiled bitch, but yeah. I just love the way that she's being characterized. Like I'm genuinely enjoying the dynamic of her, her and uh, Hawkeye back and forth. Yeah, I, I, I like the way they do it. It's you know one of the more more grounded series, you know, it's not so grand. Uh, yeah, it doesn't have a massive like consequence. It probably wouldn't, you know, in terms of the whole MCU. And I, I like that. So do I, and I, I'm really liking how how much they're humanizing Clint. Yeah, like they've well. they've been like they've done it a little bit in some of the movies, but it never really landed in the same way that it is in this series for me. Mm. And it's really, really nice to see. And it's nice to see him like have like the human struggles with the hearing and everything. It's like, oh, what happened? Cut to a montage of every explosion that he's been in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, that'll that'll kind of fuck you up. Exactly right. <laughs> but it's just like, it's interesting. Where is this going to finish? Mm. For me, because okay, we know that part of it is that he's training her. Yep. Do we think that the end of this is going to kind of be the official kind of retirement of the character? Because I'm kind I, of getting that feeling. Yeah, I think Clint Barton is going to retire, yeah. I'm okay with this. I'm okay with that, yeah. If this uh, is how they a, send him out... That's a good ending for, for, for a veteran, you know. The only thing I'm waiting for, the only thing I'm waiting for is I'm getting too old for this shit. Because there's been so many times along the way that he could have said it, and I'm just like, yeah. it's going to happen at some point, surely. Or they're going to do something to allude to it. Yeah. Because there's so so many clear Die Hard references in here. Yippee-ki-yay, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> so, there's one small detail that I want to kind of notice as well. Okay. Which is kind of a big detail, and you'll see what I mean. Ah. The scene on the bridge. Yes. Shooting the arrow into the air. Yes. Clint had a Pym particle arrow. Yes, it does. It does. But it was branded with Pym Industries. Is... Hank Pym, who has famously wanted nothing to do with the Avengers, wanted nothing to do with Stark and Co., wanted nothing to do with the government, True. is now making arrows for Hawkeye? I mean... I mean, it could be, uh, and, you know... He could have got some article uh, uh, particles from Scott Lang or some, um, something, and he just put the put the logo on himself. I mean, that's a stretch. I mean, I yeah, but that would be a weak reason for it to <laughs> yeah, be that way. I mean, I don't doubt it is purely just the writers looking at the sandbox and going, "Hey, this would be fun." Yeah, exactly. But like, that's actually kind of a cool little progress thing in the universe. Yeah, um, I think they're probably gonna put. I don't know. I just saw the massive word PIM and that, that, that's mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Can we also acknowledge the fact that they actually showed the classic costume up in the drawing? Yes. And ripped it for how stupid it is. It is stupid, though. <laughs> but yeah. I like I, I like it. these comic uh, comic accurate costumes is now popping up in various places. You know? Yeah. Excelsior. 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 I like. I'm loving this series, but anyway, enough of the five-minute mole. Let's head forward. Let's keep the momentum going. And Chris, what's on your joystick? Uh, on my joystick, I am probably going to finally talk about Forza Horizon 5. <laughs> I'm surprised this hasn't come up from you yet. Yeah, because there has been other games that I keep mentioning, other smaller, <laughs> smaller charming games that kind of, I think... Would, I, I would like to bring attention to before yeah. you know, this massive Forza Horizon that everyone knows no, about I get anyway, that. you know. Yeah. Uh I, I like I like the way they do it. Uh, look, every time Forza Horizon comes out they bring out something new. Uh definitely. Uh, and this time they're in Mexico, as people in, in the know would know. Um looks gorgeous. Uh they there are some new you are modes in the game that I find right. quite interesting. See, this is a weird thing for me because when Forza Four introduced the emotes and everything, I kind of looked at it and was just like, "Why? You're not Fortnite. 
Like, it mm. just... It, that's one of those additions, along with kind of the clothing for your driver and this, that, and the other, that I kind of look at, and it's just, it doesn't make sense to me. Because you spend next to no time as your driver, driver tour. You spend no time out of your vehicle doing emotes. No, like, no. it's very much about the cars. And it, it kind of felt like they were missing it. That or they wanted a way to put microtransactions in. Yeah, but the, I don't think there was that much. I don't recall there being... Yeah. But it's I just like... I don't think just, you can actually buy the emotes. It's just one of those things that it's just like... It just seems like such a strange addition. I mean, like, it, for what the game is. But maybe... I don't know. Maybe it makes more sense in 5. But in 4, I didn't feel like it really did. It just felt... Honestly, it kind of ended up feeling disappointing anytime you hit an emote or a car or a um, yeah, like a character like, like make clothing, or dress yeah. thing because it's just like yeah, but I want the car. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Um, I mean, you see your yeah, you basically see your character in in clothes and thing like only after you finish a race. Or, yeah, or any of the events. Yeah. We're talking something that takes up probably maybe five percent of screen time. Exactly, that, and, you, and in you, any gaming you session, through, you click through them in no time anyway. I'm going to say the majority of the time a, you're skipping it because you know, you, yeah, know you, you won or you know you lost. Yeah, exactly. You, know? you just keep hitting A. You don't want to see that. I don't don't care. Uh, but yeah, I'm not talking about. I mean, yeah, I don't care. I still don't care about the the emotes or the clothes. But they have got this. Yeah, they've got this expedition. Uh, that's a new thing. Right. Uh, it is built into the story as you progress, like uh, when you're building like new stages in mm-hmm. in Mexico, that kind of thing. And yeah, you have to go on to these expeditions, which are, which are basically story story missions. You know what? Um, I was kind of disappointed. What in in Forza Horizon is that we haven't actually been given a track editor yet. And it, it, it's like, I kind of like the idea of having the ability to make your own track or make your own courses and things. And as far as I'm aware, we haven't been given this yet. Wait, what, what do you mean by making your own track? So you remember how in, in uh, Horizons 3 they had the Hot Wheels DLC? Yes. Like, that would have been a perfect time for them to kind of introduce the ability to make your own, like, loops and circuits and things. Okay. And like, I'm very surprised that we've not had that come in through the Horizon uh, franchise yet. I mean, in Horizon, you can plot your own course. Oh, can you? Yeah. When did that get introduced? It was in four. Okay, I must have missed that. Yeah, you can make. Oh, to your be own... fair, I didn't spend as much time playing four as I. Yeah, probably... you can make your own blueprint, and you know, you can you know, plop plot uh, down checkpoints in in places, and yeah, you you can plot your own course. And does that continue into five? Yeah, yeah, you can still do that. Oh, okay. In five. Well, in which case, I take my criticism back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I still like the ability to do like the whole like Hot Wheels ramps and everything and all that kind of yeah, thing. But that, sure, like, I, yeah, that we don't. If, if they put some some like level of uh, root plotting in there, right? Fine, fair enough. Is it as visually impressive as it was kind of made out to be? Yes, there is some. There are some uh, aspects that I still find weird uh, when they bring in the sandstorm. Right. I thought it looked just odd, but then I've never been in a sandstorm, so I don't know what it looks like, but I, that's not how I imagine a sandstorm would look like. <laughs> okay. I mean, I have no point of reference of how one looks here either. Like, living in the UK, it's not really no. something that we tend to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Uh, it yeah, but it it looked odd to me. Okay, because when they show, started showing it off, and it's like, oh, it's hyper realistic and this, that, and the other. It's just like, okay, it looks pretty on the trailers, but the it way things pretty. look in trailers and the way they end up looking in the game are two different things. Yeah, it, it is visually nice. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, I. It will. It's on my list. Like it's installed. I just haven't got around to it yet because of everything yeah, else. Yeah, exactly. It, there is a <laughs> lot of content in Forza Horizon Five, and I don't think I can. 
I have time to play that much Forza, mm. even though I absolutely love it. Fair enough. Right, what's on your joystick? Uh, on my joystick at the moment is a little game called Islanders. Okay. So this was recommended to me on Steam, of all places, because it's... So it was recommended alongside Dorf Romantic. Oh, right. And they did a bundle recently that had Dorf Romantic, Islanders, a couple of others in there. And Islanders was the only one that really caught my eye, because it's one that I, I've seen before, but I'd never picked up. Okay. So what you get is, at the start of the game, you will be given a little... Um, I think it's randomly generated. I'm not 100% sure whether it's random generation or whether it just picks from a pool. But, like, you get an island, and you choose a category, because it will give you two options. So it might give you a city set or a farming set, for example. Mm. In that category, it will then give you six items. And those six items you place on the island. And depending on what you place depends on how many points you get. So let's say, for example, you choose the farming one. uh, The farming, in fact, no, sorry. Let's go, there's a lumber mill one. So let's say you you put the lumber mill down, because that's a fairly common one as well. Okay. So if you put the lumber mill down and it's next to a cluster of trees, you will get two points for every tree within its area of effect. And every every item has a slightly different area of effect, but like you'll get like two points for every tree in its area of effect. Okay. And that's how you score your points. And then your next one that you put down might be a sawmill. Mm. And if your sawmill is near trees, it'll get one point for the tree, but it might get four points for being next to the lumber mill. And then, like, as you go on, you start building up these points. And as you reach different thresholds, then yeah. you start to get a new category that you can choose from. And the the idea is it's a high score game. You, you keep going until you get to a certain point where you can't put anything more down because you can't get more score. Mm. Or until you run out of pieces. Okay. But then after a certain amount of time on each island, a little ticker will tick over because you've got enough points and allow you to move to a new island. So what you can do is you can keep running on this one island until you run out of of, uh, items and then move over to your next island in order to start again. Okay. And the idea is that you're chasing your high score. Right. Uh, And it's... The art style in this game is lovely. It's very much kind of... It's it's definitely not the same art style, but it's in the same sort of vein as Dwarf Romantic in terms of sort of having that very sort of, yeah. I guess, cutesy representation of what all these different things are. Hmm, okay. Um, and it's it's got that really nice kind of relaxed at the end of the day, just want to play something that doesn't stress you out until it yeah. does type of thing that Dwarf Romantic <laughs> has, you know? Yeah. And it's been one of those games that I've found really weirdly engaging. Hmm. Um, like, I will sit down and go, hey, I'm just going to play this for like half an hour while I wait for whatever to happen. And I'll still be there four or five hours later, not realizing how much time has passed. And right. everything about that game is just so really well designed. Okay. Like, you're very quickly into the game. The soundtrack of the game is so relaxing. Good. I've streamed it for a few friends, and, like, they'll they'll not necessarily be watching the stream, but they'll just put it on just to hear the music because they just find the music such chill sort Mm. of effect on it. Mm. I highly, highly recommend it. Okay. Okay. That's always a good sign for a game, like, you can just lose yourself in it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's very much one of those games that, like, it hasn't got... It's got some attention in the mainstream, sort of from YouTubers, etc. Okay. But it hasn't sort of hit that critical mass that a lot of uh, like little games sometimes do, like from the indie titles. But it's yeah. like it's one of those hidden gems. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But I think that's. Uh, I mean, the only other thing that's been on my joystick this week again is Halo, and I'm getting more and more frustrated. But I'm gonna. I'm holding judgment on it until. The next show once the campaigns come out. <laughs> okay. So we'll leave that there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think that's all for this week. Yes. I think that, yeah, that, that's yeah. that. That's Deep Ice and Joysticks done. Indeed. So thank you very much once again to Craig for joining us to talk about leather and Absolutely. talk about boot blacking. 
Yeah, thanks for helping uh, me out because um, I can't speak a lot this week. <laughs> and thank you to uh, thank you to the listeners for listening. If people want to find us elsewhere, where they, can they find us, Chris? Yes, you can find us on social media at TBNJ Podcast, and uh, you can find us uh, all our links on Linktree. That's linktree.ee for slash TPNJ podcast <laughs> and if you want to leave us a voice message we go to anchor.fm forward slash TBNJ podcast yeah. but for now I have been Sai and I've been Chris thank you very much for listening have a, have a safe day and we shall see you next time goodbye Bye. This episode of the Teabags and Joysticks podcast was edited by TV and JSI. The music is Quarter Conundrum by DOAK, and the soundboard consists of royalty-free music. We'd also like to say thank you to Craig from Kinky Boys Podcast for joining us this week. Goodbye.